Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this VBS time we've had this morning. I thank you for the fun and the energizing music. God, I just pray as we dig into your word that you will uh, enlighten it for us. Help us to understand you more because of this passage and help us to live more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this uh, month we're doing our VBS and we are, uh, the, the theme is Zoom In, Focus on Jesus. Or at least that's the theme for the, the Bible studies. The overall theme is In the Wild. But we see Jesus throughout the Gospels as he's going throughout life, and a lot of times he's going through the wilderness, uh, different encounters with Jesus happen with different people. You know, different people come up and they have their encounters with him. And we're going to zoom in on four of those encounters throughout Jesus' life. And this week we're looking at Matthew 14, 22 to 23. Now, last week, we were much earlier in the book of Matthew. We're in uh, chapter 3, looking at Jesus' baptism, when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, and he was uh, preaching, and, and he scolded the Pharisees. But Jesus came to be baptized by John. And John said, whoa, hold on a second. Something ain't right about this, because John was preaching a message of repentance. And Jesus didn't have anything to repent from. He didn't have to turn from his sin, because he was sinless. But Jesus told John, let it be so that we can fulfill the Father's will. He said, allow it now to uh, fulfill righteousness. And he wanted to fulfill God's will. And we'll see that play out a little bit more. Jesus fulfilling God's will, uh, playing out a little bit more in this passage. But Jesus, in this passage, we're in 14, we're going to look at verses 22 to 23. And Jesus proves that he is the Son of God. Uh, so we'll go ahead and jump right into it, starting in verse 22. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Well, the first word here is immediately. Now, this word appears three different times in this passage. From 22 to 33, this word appears three times. And each time it happens right before Jesus either says something or does something. So right here it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Well, this word also, not, not just does it precede what Jesus is about to do, it also puts it in the context of the rest of the story. Right, so sometimes as you're reading through the Gospels, it's hard to kind of get an, an idea of the timeline of when things are going on. You have one event described and then the next event described. And you're like, well, how much time was there in between that? And sometimes it's hard to tell. But this one says immediately. So what was happening immediately before that? Well, at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of uh, chapter 14, Jesus learns that John the Baptist had been beheaded. He learns of John the Baptist's death. And so he tries to mourn that death, and he tries to get away from the crowds. So as he's trying to withdraw from the crowds, the crowd sees Jesus trying to leave, and they follow him. And when Jesus sees the crowd following him, he turns around, and he has compassion on them. And it says he heals them. So here we have Jesus. He's trying to mourn the passing or the, the, the murder of his cousin. And he's trying to get away from the crowd, but the crowd follows him. Jesus has compassion. He heals them. And then it says... Late into the evening, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and late into the evening, the disciples come to him and say, well, we need to get rid of these people because they need to eat, and there's nothing around here to eat. Jesus says, well, how much food do we have? And they scrounged around and found a meal that might be enough for two guys. Well, there was 5,000 men there, and there might have been enough food for two guys, but Jesus miraculously feeds all these people. 
And so the, the range of emotions that Jesus has had throughout this day, from mourning John the Baptist to having compassion on the crowds to uh, miraculously healing people to miraculously feeding people, there, there's a huge range of emotions going on there. And so now it's finally evening. The people have, uh, the, the people have eaten, and Jesus sends the disciples away on the boat, and he tells the crowd that it's time to disperse and go home. And now he finally has a chance to get alone. So it says, he went on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, corporate prayer, that's us praying together as a group of believers, corporate prayer is extremely important for us as a body of believers. Same, in the same way, family prayer, praying with your family, is extremely important as a family. However, we cannot ignore the importance of individual prayer time, getting alone with God and praying. That's one of the most important uh, aspects of our discipleship journey, of us growing closer to God. One of the most important things we can do is to spend time alone with Him in prayer. See, this is personal one-on-one time with God. Jesus took time out of His... No, no. He made time in His day to spend time alone with God. It wasn't just taking time out of the day. He made time in His day to spend time alone with God, with the Father. He was exhausted. He probably, like I said, he had this huge range of emotions going on, but he knew where to take it. He wasn't just trying to take it and handle it all himself. He was God. He could have done that. But he goes and he spends that time with the Father. See, each and every one of us need this same prayer time, time alone with God to rest, to bring our struggles to him, to mourn, to give thanks, to seek wisdom, and for many other reasons. God, as our Heavenly Father, wants to spend time with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's the whole reason that Jesus came, to glorify God by paying the penalty and reconcile our relationship with our Father. See, if you follow the steps in the song that we sang earlier, A, admit to God that you're a believer and repent, or yeah, admit, to, I'm sorry, admit to God that you're a sinner and repent, B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and C, confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's, that, that's where we start that relationship. And if you've never prayed before, that's a good outline for your first prayer. Or if you've prayed before not as a believer, that can be a good outline as your next prayer. But notice, it wasn't that Jesus was alone. The text says that he went, or it was well in the night, well into the night, that Jesus was alone with him. The time that Jesus spends with the Father is unhurried. There were a lot of other things that Jesus could have been doing. He could have continued healing the crowd. He could have continued feeding people. He could have been with his disciples in the boat trying to sail across the sea. He could have been sleeping. It was the middle of the night, by the way. He was probably, I'm sure he was exhausted after that day. He could have been sleeping. But instead, he spends this unhurried time with God. He allowed his time with the Father to be unhurried. Now, that's hard for us to do in our society. There's always something for us to be doing or always something trying to grab our attention. It seems like more and more every day there's something else out there to grab our attention, some, some new shiny thing to grab our attention, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or, or a new computer or a new toy, whatever it is, something to grab our attention, some new show that we might be watching, something else to grab our attention that can take that time away that we should be spending with God. I'm not saying that those things are bad. You know, Facebook in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, or Instagram in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, but if we're using that and, and spending time on those things instead of spending time with God, that's when it becomes bad. We need to spend unhurried time with God. 
Now, like I said, in our society, it's hard for us to be unhurried. Now, a couple of things that I do, I, I like to hurry through them, right? So I listen to podcasts, and I listen to podcasts at two and a half times speed. So they're really talking fast through those podcasts. I like to watch YouTube videos. I watch YouTube videos at two times speed. They're really zooming through those videos. And I really, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I try to have my prayer life the same way. Just zip through it real quick. But I have to confess, that's a sin. When I'm, taking, when I'm, when I'm trying to hurry through my time with God, I'm not following the example that Jesus set. I need to make sure that I'm taking time to talk with God, not just zip through a prayer request list. I need to make sure I'm taking time to listen to God. And that, one, that one's hard, just to stop and listen for God to speak. That's hard, because it's, it's, it's a very passive act for us. It's, it's not active. Instead of acting on something, we're, we're waiting and listening. I need to make sure I'm taking time to listen to him. Each and every one of us need to make sure that we're spending that unhurried time talking with God, listening to God, and just being with him, spending time with him. That's the whole point of a relationship is to be with somebody and spend time with them. But that wasn't all that was going on. If we keep reading, it says, Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. All right, real quick, let's cover a couple details that don't translate very well for us, to translate very easily for us, whether it's uh, the, our cultural context or the language. All right, so first it says some distance from land, right? Some distance from land. In the book of Matthew, he's very vague about what that, that distance is. However, in the other Gospels, we learned, or we learned that, uh, or in John's account, we learned that it's about eight miles, okay? So the Sea of Galilee, wherever you're leaving from, to get about eight miles, you're right about in the center of the Sea of Galilee. So they're right in the middle of this, well, it's called a sea, what we would think of it now, it's more like a really big lake. It's about, uh, if I remember correctly, it's about 15 miles across, 21 miles tall, so eight miles, they're just about right in the center of it, okay? And then it says they were battered by the waves. Now, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest elevation of any freshwater lake on Earth, right? It's anywhere from about uh, 208 to 215 feet below sea level, right? So this is very low elevation, and there's hills all around it. We just saw Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray, right? So there's hills all around it, and then this valley where the, the lake is. What that means is, in the evening, when the sun went down and the weather cooled off, a lot of times they'd have these really brisk winds or strong storms pick up because the cool air is sinking and going down into the valley. It's causing these really strong winds. And it could really whip that lake up into a frenzy in, in no time at all. all right? Then it says, early in the morning, very early in the morning. Depending on your translation, your Bible might have a few different phrases here. It might, like mine say, early in the morning, or it might say shortly before sunrise, or it might say during the fourth watch of the night. The reason for that is because in the Greek culture, they divided the time from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. into four equal chunks, okay? And so if your Bible says the fourth watch of the night, that would be the literal Greek translation here. 
Now, the reason that some translations don't say that, literal, the, the fourth watch of the night, is because in our culture, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if, that mean, if they're talking about the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so just before sunrise or very early in the morning. And so they're still being faithful to that translation, but trying to make it easier for us to understand. So somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it says, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. Now, this defies physics. This should not be possible. We see magicians try to copy this feat, but all the time when we're watching somebody else, some magician try to copy this feat, we know that it's some sort of illusion or some sort of trick. See, with Jesus, it's not an illusion. It's not a trick. He's able to do this because he is the master of the sea. He's the master of the sea because he created the sea. Jesus created all that we know. He created the heavens and the earth, all living life forms. He created all of it. He created us. Now, we have free will. We can choose not to follow Jesus. However, the sea does not have free will. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to walk on you, and I need you to support my weight, the sea says, okay, let's do it. Now, how did he do this? I don't know, did he somehow decrease his density and, and become more buoyant or increase the density of the water below him? Or was he like Elsa running from the, whatever town they were in and the, the, it was freezing underneath? We don't know that, it, it, but that's not important. The important, point, the important point is that Jesus is God. So he can bend the laws of physics. See, the laws of physics are where we can look at natural society or the, the, the natural world around us and recognize patterns. Those patterns are there because God created, created them to make sense for us, to point to his glory. But if God created the world to work in a certain way, he can also choose when he wants to bend those laws of physics a little bit more to point to his glory, to show his power. And that's what, he, that's what he's doing here. Miracles are when natural wonder, or when the natural world bows to its supernatural creator. So the natural world bowing to its supernatural creator. Jesus is God, and therefore he is able to perform miracles. Now, as he's walking out there, the disciples are scared. And they cry out, it's a ghost! But Jesus said, immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now there's that word again, immediately. He had to tell them to have courage because they were scared. They were terrified. Now we want to pick on the disciples about being scared in this moment. Like, oh, well, duh, duh, they should have known it was Jesus walking on water. What else could it have been? Well, come on. They're tired. They were out serving with Jesus, feeding the crowds all day, playing crowd control all day long in the heat. And then Jesus get, tells them to get on the boat and start rowing. Well, instead of having a nice, peaceful boat ride across the sea, they're now fighting against the storm. It's very early in the morning, between 3 and 6 a.m. They're tired. You know, when we're tired, our brains don't always work quite right. Not to mention, we don't read any other point in Scripture where Jesus is walking on water. So it's not like they've seen Jesus do this before. And so they're out there rowing on the, on the sea, trying to fight against the waves, and they see something walking on the water. It looks like the figure of a human. It's a ghost. I can understand their, their, their confusion there. I can understand their fear. It's not something that we see every day. Now, let me, get, let me try to help you understand. All right? My neighbor, he likes to walk around his property at night, well, all times of day, day and night, and he walks around talking on his phone. 
Now, there was one evening I was getting home. I don't know if I was getting home from work or home from church or whatever it was, but the sun had already gone down. It was kind of late, not real late, but it was dark. Right? And I'm getting something out of my truck, and all of a sudden I hear footsteps and a voice coming up behind me. I turn around, I pull out my flashlight, and I'm like, whoa. And he's like, he got blinded a little bit. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know who that was walking up behind me. Right? But this is something that he does normally. And it wasn't even that I had been fighting against the sea all night. But I was startled, somebody walking up behind me. I can understand the disciples' fear here. I think it's pretty understandable that they were scared. We don't typically see people walking on water. And like I said, this is the first time that Jesus had done this with them. And unless there's another time recorded in Scripture, it's the only time he does this. But what's probably most important about this scripture is something that's very easy for us to miss, right? Something very easy for us to miss because, again, it kind of gets lost in translation. When Jesus says, it is I, to really understand what's going on, what Jesus is saying in this passage, we have to look at the Greek. And the Greek says, ego emi. Ego emi. Now, that's the Greek translation of what God said to Moses. When Moses goes to the burning bush, and God tells Moses to go back to Egypt and to tell the Israelites to follow him out of Egypt, to tell the, the, the Pharaoh to release the Israelites. And Moses says, why would they listen to me? I'm a nobody. I'm an outcast. I'm a murderer. Why would they listen to me? God says, tell them I am who I am. That I am right there, that's where we get from, from Hebrew to English, that's where we get the word Yahweh. But from Hebrew to Greek, I am becomes ego and me. And that's what Jesus says right here. Have courage. I am God. Don't be afraid. Have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He says, I am. Jesus tries to comfort them by calling himself by the covenant name of God. Jesus is purposely using this phrase to equate himself with God. Now the disciples, their response, Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and immediately began to sink to the ground. Sorry, sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, climbing out of the boat, Peter answers Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm God, be comforted. Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, go ahead and call me out onto the water, and I'll come to you. So, Jesus says, Come on, brother. And Peter steps out on the water and starts walking towards him. Now, I've heard a couple of different pastors preach through this passage, and I've heard some say that, you know, maybe it was, you know, Peter's sitting there, like, scared and, and taking forever to take that first step out onto the water. But see, I don't think that's the case here. Because as we get to know Peter a little bit more throughout Scripture, Peter's one to really act out or to say something before really thinking all the way through it. So in the scripture here, when it says, Jesus says, come, and Peter climbs out of the boat, I think that was immediately. Jesus says, come, and Peter's out of, out of the boat walking towards him. There's no hesitation there. He just does it. Now, we pick on Peter about being little of faith, being low on faith. But I mean, come on, there had to have been at least some faith. 
for him to step out on the water like this, right? There had to be something there. And once he's already out there, then he gets intimidated by the storm. Once he's out there, then he gets intimidated by the storm. But again, he makes the right move. He gets intimidated by the storm. He's out there. He's walking on the water, going towards Jesus. He looks out. He sees the, the, the waves, and he sees the wind and the rain, and he gets scared, and he starts sinking. But he makes the right move. He says, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Lord, save me. Now, this is the same prayer that we all need. Romans 10, 13 tells us, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter gives us a great example. Lord, save me. What's interesting about this, when we look at Peter's life, he's already following Jesus. He's already a disciple of Jesus. This isn't a prayer, that, when we look at this and apply it to our lives, this isn't a prayer for salvation. This is a prayer for continued protection. A prayer for continued guidance. Lord, save me. Yes, that applies for salvation. But it also applies for each and every moment of our lives after salvation. Lord, save me. Continue to protect me. Continue to guide me. Save me. Or sometimes, like Peter, we get ourselves into quite a mess, and we have to call out, Lord, save me. But now wait a second. Did Peter get himself into this mess? Well, Jesus called him out there. Jesus said, come on. Come on, brother. And there he goes. So we can look at Peter and, and, and recognize that he responded with obedience. That's a good thing. He responded with obedience. Jesus told him to do something, and he did it, and he responded with obedience. However, he lost sight of the picture. He lost sight of what he was following. He responded with obedience, trusting in Jesus, but he got out there and lost sight of what was really important. He lost sight of Jesus. Started focusing on all the wrong things going on, so he started to sink. He calls out to Jesus, and Jesus saves him. Now, for a lot of us, I think for all of us, this is something that we have to remember. Often, God calls us to action, and hopefully, we respond like Peter did with obedience. God says, do this, and we do it. But then sometimes, when we're in the middle of that action, the storms come up. It might be opposition to what we're doing, or it might be unforeseen difficulties or obstacles, or maybe even in Peter's case, we see the storm, we see these obstacles, but we don't recognize how strong or distracting they are until we're in the middle of it. For whatever reason, after we're responding with obedience, for whatever reason, we lose faith. We lose sight of who we're supposed to be focusing on. For whatever reason, we lose faith after we've already started the task that God has called us to. But like Peter, we must remember to call back to God, to go back to Him, Lord, save me. So how does Jesus respond when Peter cries out for salvation? Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? There's that word again. The third time in this passage, just as I promised, immediately. All right? When Peter cries out to Jesus, there is no hesitation. This makes me wonder, what was Jesus doing as Peter was sinking? Was he just standing there watching Peter sink? And Well, eventually he might call out to me. If not, I guess he's a goner. He's going to drown. Or was Jesus kind of a little ways off and rushing up to try to, to, to try to save him? I don't know. We're not told that. I kind of think that Jesus was standing back watching him and kind of waiting for Peter to realize what was going on and what he needed to do. And I, I don't think Jesus would have let Peter 
pass at that moment. I don't think he would have let him drown. I think he was just standing there and watching him, letting him feel that, that fear a little bit. Right? But when Peter does ask for help, Jesus' response is twofold. Jesus' response is twofold. It's salvation and discipline. Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand and pulls him up. When Jesus pulls him up out of the water, he doesn't just save him. But he also tells him how he got there, why he was in that predicament. Jesus saves Peter and tells him how to avoid the same situation in the future. Whatever sin we are in, it's a faith issue. Jesus doesn't merely rescue us from our sins. He gives us what we need to keep from going back to it. When we are caught in sin, we must cry out to Jesus for salvation. But to stay out of sin, we must keep our eyes on him. The most loving thing that Jesus could do was to save Peter and to discipline him. Not just to save him, right? Because he could have grabbed Peter and, and pulled him up out of the water and they went straight to the boat and they'd have been, Peter would have been saved. Or Jesus could have, could have st stood there and when Peter called out to him, he could have said, oh, you of little faith, and then walked off and left Peter. It wasn't one or the other. It was both and. He saves him and disciplines him, helps him to grow. Now, this lesson doesn't end with Peter in the water. It says, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Now that storm was holding up their progress. They were stuck in the middle of the sea. That storm recognizes its master, and it calms down. The disciples are amazed. And in, in their amazement, they recognize that there's something truly wonderful about Jesus. He is the one true God, the Son of God, the promised Messiah who would bring salvation and one day rule forever in righteousness. The people closest to Jesus saw his character and knew that he was the Son of God. Right, hopefully, as we grow closer to Jesus, people will see him in us and recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Jesus had been up all night after an exhausting day. He had just walked through rain to catch up with his friends, and still, and, I'm sorry, and it's still before sunrise. Now, you put me in that situation, nobody's going to confuse me with the Son of God. How many times do we get to know, or we have this person of, of uh, great power or influence or whatever it is, somebody that we respect a lot, and then we get to know them, and we see, hmm, maybe they're not really worthy of our respect. Jesus wasn't like that. The people closest to him, the people that knew him best, recognized that he was the Son of God. Jesus' words and actions, in this case specifically, prove to the disciples that he is the Son of God. So our application here, what, what application do we get out of this? Remember, our application is always in three parts, knowing, being, and doing. All right, so know, know that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that's the same knowing application point from last week. And I'll give you a hint, that's probably going to be the same ap knowing application point next week. That's kind of a big theme here, is that Jesus is the Son of God. All right, so know that Jesus is the Son of God. Throughout Scripture, we see evidence of Jesus' deity. He is the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity. God himself in the flesh come to live on this earth. He came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about a Messiah who would pay for the sins of the world. Know that Jesus is the Son of God. But knowing that is not enough. Don't just stop at knowing that. Don't stop there. We must know him as Lord and Savior. See, the disciples, 
the disciples in the boat knew Jesus was the Son of God, but Peter now knows him as Savior. The disciples knew. They saw the evidence of Jesus' power. They saw him walking on the sea. They saw the storm cease when Jesus got in the boat. But Peter was pulled out of the water by Jesus. I pray that we can all be Peter and not just one of the disciples. Now, as we read throughout, we see the disciples also know Jesus as Savior. But in this case, Peter intimately knows Jesus as Savior. Jesus reached down into the water and pulled him out. Going back to our VBS song, admit that you are a sinner and repent. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Admit that we are sinking in that water. And believe that when we call out, Lord, save me, that Jesus will save us. And confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The second application point is to be faithfully obedient. You see, Peter was obedient when he stepped out into the water. And when he stepped out of the boat, he was obedient. But his obedience was greater than his faith, and he began to sink. Obedience is good, but without faith, we will find ourselves in situations that we cannot handle. That's because God wants to put us in situations that we can't handle so that we will depend on him, and he will get the glory from it. Be obedient to what God has called. It might be scary. It probably will be scary. Be obedient to what God has called, but keep your faith in him to complete the task. A lot of times, and I find myself to be very guilty of this, God gives us a task, tells us to do something, and we say, okay, God, I got it. I can do this. Don't worry about it. You need to go help somebody else. They, they really need to go help Harriet. She really needs some help right now. I got this, okay? But that's not true. I mean, Harriet does need God's help, but so do I. Each and every one of us need God's help. He gives us tasks to complete not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Him. And finally, the doing is to spend unhurried time with God. Jesus de demonstrates one of the most important spiritual discipline, disciplines for us. I'm going to say that again. I kind of stumbled through that. Jesus demonstrates one of the most important spiritual disciplines for us. And that's unhurried, alone time with God. In this passage, we saw Jesus spending a large amount of time alone with the Father. Yes, there were other things he could have been doing. But he recognized that in that moment, the most important thing he could do would be to step away and spend a large amount of time by himself with the Father. This is how we will be successful in the being application point. To be faithfully obedient, we must be spending time with God. That almost didn't make sense. To be faithfully obedient, we need to spend unhurried time alone with God. Spend that time with Him, talking with Him, listening to Him, just being with Him, spending time with God in an unhurried fashion. Like I said, it's something that's hard in our society to do, but it's something that is extremely important for us, has high importance in Scripture. Jesus took time out of His day to spend unhurried alone time with His Father. So, know that Jesus is the Son of God, be faithfully obedient, and spend unhurried time alone with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Peter's obedience. But mostly, Lord, we thank you for salvation in your Son, Jesus. That he came to pay the penalty for our sin. That he was raised on the third day. 
in victory over sin and death. We thank you, God, that through him, through our faith in him, our relationship with you can be reconciled. God, I pray that each and every one of us will place a high importance on spending alone time with you, unhurried time with you, so that we can be faithfully obedient to what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBC Hope Mills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.